There's just been too many red cards in this league. It's, it's ruining games. Those are difficult games. Uh, it, it, it seems like every game in this league is a red card now. Please join us now in a moment's silence in memory of tackling, which has apparently died in Major League Soccer. Well, hello again, and welcome to episode 153 of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Steve Pander. And a lot to talk about in this episode of the podcast, and a busy week ahead for the Whitecats, both teams, MLS and USL. But before we get into the meat and bones of things, let's take a little look back at the LA game. We didn't get a chance to do a post-game show on Saturday, so we'll chat a little bit about it now, Steve. I guess first thing to ask you, just general overall thoughts of the game. General overall thoughts, obviously, the it's hard to say a general thought when the, the game turned so differently at, at a certain point. Uh, I don't want to give away spoilers, uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but the... Uh, Overall, I think the Whitecaps were okay to, you know, salvage a point. Who knows how the game would have turned after the 28th minute, if it would have been flowed the same way or what would have happened. So it's hard even to give general thoughts at this point. But, you know, they got a point out of it. it would prefer to get three, but, you know, you can't really, when you're playing one man down, it's hard to, you know, choose your choose your result. And it was one of those games, like, going into it against a star-studded LA team, although not as star-studded because a lot of the stars didn't, turn up at BC Place on, on Saturday. Well, one had a legitimate excuse. Well, yeah. Surgery. To anything. Robbie Keane would do anything to not play on that BC Place turf. It's like... But he's never stopped from coming. This no. is the first time you missed it. It's not the same when he's not here, actually, no. because I, I miss his moans after, after the game. He's a guy that he knows what he wants to say to the media and he likes to get his things out there. And he, he just lets rip. Although Bruce Arena more than made up for it, I think this week with some of his post-game comments, but we'll, we'll come to that in a little bit. But heading into the game, if you'd said Whitecaps got a point out of it, I'd have been happy with that. I mean, you always want three at home, but against a team like LA, Western Conference team, a team that's dangerous on the attack, getting a point, fantastic. But they've owned them in the NBC place in the last few years now. I mean, it's five games now that the Whitecaps are undefeated against LA at BC Place. So, yeah, I mean, there is something about the place. And Bruce Arena did say that it's not a place that, that, that they really like coming to. They don't like the surface. But there wasn't talking points about the turf this time. There was a, a lot of other talking points. Before we get to the red card, which is obviously the big elephant in the room, but we'll look at the fact that the Whitecaps played over an hour with 10 men and still kept a clean sheet. And, it, yes, it might not have been... 
the, the first choice strikers that were out there for LA. But I mean, some dangerous guys out there. Mike McGee, Jesse Zardes came on in the second half. But the clean sheet, back-to-back clean sheets now for the Whitecaps' defence after a shaky start to the season. Overall, defensively, it was a, it was a good game for the Caps. And and yeah, and two, you know, like you said, two, two uh, shot, um, clean sheets in a row, and with two different center back pairings too. So it was a positive there that they're they kind of on everybody's on the same page. Fraser Aird is still looking, you know, it's starting to really look solid in his position. Um, settled in. And Jordan Harvey, the veteran, he has, has shown no uh, chinks in his armour at all. Yeah, Fraser Ayer's looking better and better every game at right back. Still not perfect, but I mean, he, he's looking solid. He'll be definitely buoyed by, by having those two clean sheets, as, as the whole team will be. And the Whitecaps, it was, a, it was an open game to start with. And whenever LA come to town, it's usually quite high score and free flow and stuff. For it to be nil-nil was a, a little bit surprising. But the way that the Whitecaps defended when they went down a man, I mean, it was really good. Every player, attacker, midfielder, defender, did their defensive job. And the Whitecaps had some of the better chances in the game. And there, there were spells off the game when the Caps looked like they were going to be the only team that, that were actually going to break the deadlock. And obviously the most dangerous strike came from a holding midfielder, um, Andrew Jacobson, who I, I think as I think had the probably the best chances this year to score from open play, which... I guess we'll talk about that they still haven't scored from. It's it's amazing that they that it's when a team goes one man down that they seem to almost play freer or something like that. Even though you think they would play tighter, but they seem to feel like there's nothing to lose at this point and just go out there and try to get the win. And yet, Jacobson's been one of the players of the year. It's a fantastic addition by the Whitecaps. So versatile. I know the phrase utility man is used a lot in football, very much overused. But I mean, Jacobson. Fits that to a T. We, we were debating that it was hard to leave him out of the lineup the way that he'd played in the, the win over Houston. But then you have to leave him out to get your attacking players on the pitch. But to come on after Pedro's injury and then Laba getting sent off and having to take that DM role, I mean, he looked really good. And that strike, what a beautiful hit ball that was. I mean, a lot of keepers wouldn't have got to that. So we've got to give a, a full credit to Brian Rowe for that save. But that was a sweet strike, and I think that that's something that he brings to the game more than Kofi did. Kofi could have those strikes, but his consistency wasn't there. In his early days, but from what we've seen of Jacobson, who's obviously a veteran in the league, he has that consistency that Kofi did not have. Uh, and 100%, and I think that comes from being, just playing the league for so many years. Like, Kofi... Kofi was still a, still still a young player to this point. He's still learning. I think Jacobs is like in a 26, 27. He's played for a number of teams, and he's always wherever he's gone, he's always been a solid player for that team. Whether it was FC Dallas, uh, Philadelphia before that, New York City's FC. I think he was like one of the higher higher rated passers on the team last year. Now, the only other sort of really strong chance that the Whitecaps had. It came in the closing minutes. Blas Perez was nearly slipped through with a ball, but an LA boot just got in the way and, and cleared it away. But, I mean, the Whitecaps were happy to hold on to a point. I asked Carl Robinson after the game if the way that they'd been playing before the sending off, if it felt that, and with the chance that they had, if it maybe felt that they could have taken all three, but he said it had been greedy to look for that, and he was more than content with the way that things... It's kind of shook out in the end just to get that one point. Yeah, and um, one thing is also we we talked about the back line, but Alsip came up with a huge save off Zardes. It was a volley, and he kind of I think it hit his face area, 
uh, deflected it over. Yeah, I mean, that, that face save from, from Eistead must have hurt. It hasn't had any lasting damage because we, we spoke to Eistead today for, for a piece that I'm doing for Tourism Vancouver. And he's not feeling the effects. He's a little bit sore, but not really feeling too many effects. And I don't really know how much he knew about the save. At the time, it's like we were worried that with the way that the White Cats' luck was going in that game, they'd got all three subs on. I was worried he was going to end up with a concussion and have to go off the pitch. But but thankfully he didn't. And it, it saves like that, that at the end of a year, you can look back as like game-defining moments or season-defining moments. And to to pull off that save and to keep the clean sheet and to, to give the White Cops another point, keep them in the playoff spots and the, at this early stage... After the way that they started the season, to go unbeaten now for three games in a row, it's it's very encouraging and it's something to build on now as they head on the road now for the next two away games. You mentioned the three substitutions. We should also mention the injury updates. Uh, we saw Kakuta Mane at training. He was, you know, seemed like he was fully going and everything. It seemed like there was no issues with him. But you have a little bit of news on Pedro Morales? Yeah, it doesn't look so good on Pedro. I, I'd said after the game that I didn't think Pedro was going to make the trip to DC anyway. And Robo revealed on Tuesday that no, he, he wasn't in the plans to, to do that trip. Because I, I don't think they'll use Morales much for the, the games out east. I think those are going to be the ones that he's rested for. So he wasn't going to make the trip anyway. But it looks like he's going to be missing for at least a few weeks. And he's had a good start to the season. Obviously got all those penalties and got the assists. Maybe not fully on his game elsewhere, but he was learning that new deeper role and he was starting to look good. And I was liking what he was offering the team. It's a big blow. We do have Nicholas Mosquita at least coming back, which does seem to kind of unlock Rivero and Teixeira a little bit. So that that is some positives. But losing Pedro this early in the season, having lost him so much last year through injuries, that this concerns there that your your top DP just can't stay healthy. Yeah, and uh, it, it's been a thing. I think his only time he was healthy last year was after he signed the contract uh, for a bit. And then so it looked like it was maybe a very good signing, but then here we go, like, what, fifth game into the season, and he's he's out for a couple of weeks. Hopefully not as serious. Hopefully he can work through it, and maybe they're being a little bit precautionary so they don't rush him back or anything like that. And the thing is, before the injury anyway, he was he was pretty heavily taped up going into that game. Oh, he's he, always been bandaged up. Yeah. He's like he's got those uh, those last whatever the teams yeah that the they little have black on. things. Yeah, and he'd had rehab at training the last couple of weeks anyway, and he wasn't always out in the training pitch. So I mean, he has got this these nagging injury problems, and it's a shame because he's such a talent and he can produce. But you have to kind of wonder at this stage of his career, can his body keep healthy? And just now, it's not looking like he can. If the Whitecaps can at least keep him healthy for the season running, to me that's more important than having him in these early stages. But you, you do kind of worry what might lie in store just, just for Morales, just in general injury-wise, because his back, his groin, this is a left hip strain. It's just, it's, uh, there's the, a lot. The concerning part is that the, he is probably, obviously this year he's been the most effective designated player. Rivero having issues with scoring goals, Lava came in late because of... I think it's just staying on the pitch. Well, that that's just last game, but but he came in late and he was still finding his game. Morales seemed like the only one that was like, now he's injured. So it's kind of disheartening there. Because the Whitecaps are not a high-end spending team, they got to have effective designated players so that they're not wasting money on players that aren't seeing the pitch at all. 
Yeah, it's tough. It is good, though, that it's going to give some of the, the other midfield guys their, their opportunity to come in, get some minutes and show Robbo what they can do. And the midfield does look stacked just now. And we talked about it last week. There's a problem for Robinson and how he fits all the, this midfield talent into the team whilst also having a striking threat, whilst also keeping the defensive core with a, a strong DM role. And Pedro had really slotted in well into that kind of deeper line DM-CM role. And it's... Well, we'll talk about the DC game shortly, but it's like someone else now needs to either slot into that kind of role or we have to look at another formational change. And, of course, when when you're talking about DMs, Matthias Laba is the guy that, that springs to mind. And the big talking point from the LA game, won't put off talking about it any longer, 28th minute sending off. Whitecaps had thought of appealing it. They've, it looks like they've decided not to, but they get two appeals a season. And I think it makes sense for them not to waste an appeal on that because there's no way that they were, it was going to get overturned. I personally don't think it was a red card. Some different angles make it look a lot worse than others. There's this whole studs up debate, which I want to talk about it in a second. But what's your views now, Steve? A couple of days passed. You've had a chance to review all the footage. What were your what was your initial thought at the challenge, and has that changed anything in the last couple of days? Well, like a couple of years ago, I would say that I would say that's not a red card. Now, I'm not saying this is a red card. Now, in my feeling, if I'm a referee and I'm refereeing the game, that's not a red card. But the MLS has shown that they're whenever somebody's showing studs, they're going to show an, a red card. So my initial thoughts were, uh, I was upset that Laba played the ball that way and went in for that tackle that way uh, instead of just like c- controlling McGee and letting McGee have possession of the ball and then seeing what he could do because if, if if a player is going to you know he, he made a, he tried to do a something fancy instead of doing a simple move up the up the pitch and and I would prefer him to do that that simple pass he's a designated he's a designated player yes but he's a holding midfielder get the ball go upfield he, he let it go through his legs, and then he saw that McGee was a little actually closer than he thought it was, and then he panicked, and I think that panic led to him diving in. So that, that's, that, that's what upset me at first, but like I said, I don't consider that to be an actual red card. But I, if you do that, something like that, MLS referee is going to pull out a red card. Although, the referee initially, I think, he was going for a yellow, and then he got talked into the red card by the LA players. LA were not punished this week by Disco. Yeah for mass confrontation and that was a clear mass confrontation incident but your point earlier about the Whitecaps not appealing there is a I think I believe I've seen it where somebody's appealed something and they actually added games on too so there is a chance that if you appeal it they actually look at it closer they might even add a game or two to the not a game or two but maybe added a second game to lab a suspension and it's better to save the appeal, I think, for something that you've got more chance of winning. At the time, I didn't think it was a red card. I know from some angles that's doing the rounds, it looks like he was out of control. But any, Camera angles can make anything look horrible. Well, that, that's the thing. It's, in real time, it didn't look... And if, if you actually... like, There's been a lot of talk about studs up. Yeah. And that's... It's a, stupid, it's a stupid term. Yeah, it's a phrase. I mean, I was talking to a couple of ex-players about this. And it's a phrase that they don't like hearing because it it kind of clouds folks' judgment. 
And in most tackles, if you're on the ground, your studs are going to be up. Like I, I, I beg, I, I wanted somebody to show somebody do a tackle without studs showing. Studs are going to show every time. Otherwise, you're going to break your own ankle. Exactly. I mean, you'll injure yourself if you try and keep your studs down. But if you look at the FIFA laws, nowhere does it mention anything about studs showing. It's talking about being out of control, excessive force, the chance of injuring the, the other player. That's all the terms. Studs up, studs showing doesn't even come into it. It just seems to be a, a North American obsession, especially with a lot of the media that they like to use that phrase. And a lot of the folk watching at home... They, they don't necessarily understand what you've just said, that a lot of the time you can't tackle without studs showing a little bit. I, I think, I think a, a better term is studs raised. Like if your studs are, if, you're, if your feet are like along the turf or the grass or whatever when you're making a tackle, that's fine. But you, when you start raising it towards ankle area or obviously towards the knee when you're, when you're sliding or something like that, that's more dangerous. I think that should be considered. It's stud, maybe studs raised is a better term to use. I don't know. I'm not an ex player, so I don't know exactly if they're they would be happy. The people you talk to would be happy with those. But what do you think about studs raised being a better term? I just wouldn't mention studs at all. It's no, but just... uh, people are going to mention studs because they see them all the time when the tackles are made. Now, the other thing with Lava as well is a lot of it, as you say, he brought it upon himself. It was a foolish play to start with. He obviously wasn't aware that McGee was behind him when he let the ball run through so they tried to make amends of it and a complaint that I've got about Laba as much as I think that he's one of the, the best midfielders in the league one of the best DMs in the league he can definitely go on and play at a higher level he does have this tendency to kind of lunge in on a tackle yeah. and we've seen it a lot and there's been times and I was talking about this to a couple of guys at training today there's been times that he's made similar tackles and he's lunged in and it's had me cringing but he's been lucky and he's won the ball. So these split seconds where you either get the ball first or you don't get the ball first, when you lunge in perception-wise for a referee, and especially if you're playing away from home in the home crowd as well, it's definitely going to look worse. It's just, it's Laba's style. That's how he tackles. That's He has an unorthodox running style, an unorthodox tackling style, and I think sometimes it makes things look worse than it was. And I'd have given a yellow card for it, if it had been on a white caps player, I maybe would have been shouting for a red card for it. <laughs> so that's me being very hy- hypocritical there. But it, it's something you look at the the Brick Shea tackle against Portland on Sunday, and he's now been suspended for that. Was well, worse too that tackle. And for me, a sending off tackle, it's if you're out of control and it can be deemed reckless, I would give a red card. And I don't think you can fully argue that Laba was out of control. But I do think you can fully argue that, that Shea was out of control. Well, he was scissors up. He wasn't studs up. He was scissors up. He was basically scissors, the guy from behind. But someone else I was speaking to today had said that they didn't think that the Shea tackle merited more than a booking because no. there was no danger to the other player because yeah. the, the the legs and the studs weren't anywhere near the player. But it was worse. It was a worse tackle than the Labo one for sure. And of course, then Shea stays on the pitch and yeah, scores. So, which I don't have any complaints because it's against the Timbers. Oh yeah, I mean I'm ha- very happy with that. But you have to say it's like that was a game-defining moment, possibly. I mean, would Portland have been any better with the man advantage? Hard to say. But it was one of those things. The referee didn't send him off. He now has sent him off. Or Disco have now sent him off or suspended him, basically. <laughs> but that's just... that where the committee actually sends him oh. off and they have to walk. Yeah, <laughs> <over> the <bench. laughs> they head down, down to Orlando and give him a red card. Yeah. But it doesn't help Portland in the slightest now because they've lost that game. 
they've had the guy score against them. It was like Kudo's suspension. He misses the LA game, but that doesn't help Houston at all. So, I mean, the, the disco thing, they're getting far too involved this season. You have to think that the referees aren't happy about it. I mean, we, we know that the players and we know that the the managers and that the fans aren't happy about it. I mean, Bruce Arena, when, when the, the manager that benefited from the sending off on Saturday, Bruce Arena, is highly critical of it and criticising how it's ruining games. And you had players like Maurice Edu and Will Johnson piping in saying that it is ruining games. And Will Johnson said he couldn't watch any more of the game after that because for him, the entertainment was going to be devoid. And yeah, I mean, it was a... It's not Surely it's not something that the TV companies are going to be happy with. When you have a guy sent off, a team bunkering down, and as a spectacle, it's not very good. And one thing I've heard is that MLS might actually be backing down a little bit after all the uproar and, and all the, the coverage that it's got. So end of disco? End of disco. Disco days are over. And I, I think punk football has won through instead of yeah. disco, which is good. <laughs> But I have heard that they might be about to back off. They're, They'll probably back off a little bit on the suspensions afterwards or something like that. We've heard that there are some teleconferences with broadcasters this week where they're wanting to get the message across as to exactly what they're looking for. I know. I think this is one to watch for the next couple of weeks. Whether it will make any difference, we don't know. And we, we, We're actually having this debate at training today. If they don't back off, they've changed the game completely here. So then you look at, say, the residency guys that are coming through. Do you work differently with them because you're going to have to change how they tackle so when they move up to the big leagues that they they take that element out of their game, that, that tackling isn't a big part of the game, which to me would be ridiculous and it just ruins the game completely. No, because that's the thing. If MLS is doing this, that's going to affect... And if they start teaching that at residency those residency players are not going to be going over to Europe because they're not going to be effective tacklers there because they're, yeah, if you, that may be that, uh, that Laba thing is just a foul somewhere in Europe. It's not even a carded or anything like that. I, I remember seeing a tackle on the weekend. I think it was a Premier League, which was much worse than Laba's tackle, and it was a yellow card. Well, that, that's the thing. I mean, there isn't consistency across the, the world with this. And you're going to have players coming into the league that think, I don't understand how that's not a tackle and Bolanya's told me that a couple of episodes ago in the podcast after the Seattle game I ran our Bolanya's audio where he basically said he that MLS have different rules yeah and you know like you said earlier Bruce Arena's up you know saying there's too many red cards because he's got one of the guys that played the hardest in Nigel De Jong and how, how is that going to affect his game and you don't want to be talking about referees every week you don't want them Any to week. be the centre of the attention well sometimes it's good it, <laughs> There's nothing like a good Geiger controversy to, to get the internet like up in arms. But it's not ideal. We'll just keep an eye on it and we'll, we'll just take bets now as to who we think the next Whitecaps to be suspended is. And with all the suspensions the Whitecaps have got so far this year, it's incredible to think that with Blas Perez and Kendall Waston on our team, they're two of the guys that haven't been suspended yet. Or Ka. Or Ka, yeah. yeah. But of course, the, the Laba suspension means that he's going to be missing for this weekend's game against DC. Forcing Carl Robinson into another lineup shuffle. Or formation shuffle. And of course, Pedro's missing as well, but he wasn't going to make the, the trip. So, I mean, DC coming up, winless so far after five games, really struggling, which is what you actually tipped them to do this season, Steve. Yeah, the, the, it, we talked about it at training early before we started recording. My, my theory was on them was 
they they're a team that needs to ch- switch over quite a few like players because a, a coach like Ben Olsen, who is very difficult to talk to after games, whether he wins or loses, um, I'm sure players eventually get tired of his act as well. So they got to keep rotating players, and it seemed like they had a lot of players from last year, last couple of years. So that's why I was thinking that maybe they'll stop playing for him and not be <laughs> as effective for him. And they've only scored, I think, three goals out of the in five games and. Uh, three points only as well. Yeah, th- this game has nil-nil written all over it for me. I have to say, it's like DC are struggling to score, Whitecaps can't score from open play. Five games this year, still no goals from open play. A lot of interesting stats doing the rounds that in the last 16 matches in all competitions, only one goal has been scored from a striker, and that was the now-retired Robert Earnshaw in the last game of the season against Houston. And that's kind of... It's a terrifying stat, as is the fact that Octavio Rivero has scored something like two goals from open play in 34 matches, I think it was. Yeah, and that was that, that was actually a surprising stat for me. But I, I personally think that when, when they do eventually score a goal from open play, then it's just the floodgates are going to open and they're going to get quite a few. They'll get a bunch of them in a row. So it could be, you know, you're saying 0-0 against DC. If they score an early goal, this could really open it up for them and they could maybe get 2-3 in that game. Anything's possible. I mean, the fantastic thing would be that early goal, get a few goals into the belt, confident, boosting, road win, three or four goals banned in the process. I mean, it, it would all be fantastic. Looking at the lineup that we think Robo's going to go for, it, it should be the same back four, but there is a chance that he might decide to rest Harvey and, and give Sam Adekugbe his first start of the year. Yeah, it's possible. I, I totally see that... Uh, uh, coming, but it's hard to take Harvey off the pitch, and I don't know, I don't know if he's asking. He probably won't be asking for the rest. He'll, he'll probably want to keep playing. That's a game they can win as well. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I would say that Harvey stays, and Adekubi probably doesn't start yet. So looking at formation, we've tried four four two. This has been the four two three one. Yet you're missing Lava. You're missing Morales. Tybert it might not start because he's not 100%. Yeah, I mean, he's, he looks he's close. back training and he, he's looking kind of sharp. He was joking about a little bit at, at training this morning. So, I mean, he's looking sharp. I don't think he'll start. I think we're definitely going to see Jacobson in the DM role. Whether he's the only one there, whether... I, I just have a sneaking feeling they might go 4-1-3-2. It's a possibility, especially if you're dearth of uh, holding midfielders the only one I think can see can start with Jacobson would be uh, Debbie Flores possibly he'd gone back to Honduras he hadn't trained for a bit he had a sick grandmother so he went back there but he was oh. back out at training today Yeah, um, I'd actually forgotten all about him until I saw him on the pitch today so there is a chance that he could play alongside Jacobson but I, maybe I would, Kian's froze or uh, they, if, if they want a player like Morales why don't they put Bolaños back there and he could play that Morales role where he's a deep-lying playmaker kind of thing alongside Jacobson. And that, and then you play Mosquito up top, and he Mosquito will be more of a, a guy who can help Rivero and Tichero, like you said earlier, and also be a, like a kind of a, a, a buzzsaw kind of up top, uh, pressuring the players up top, uh, the centre-backs or the holding midfielders up there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Bolanius will, will play at some position. On Saturday against DC, <laughs> I don't think he'll be left on the bench like like he was against LA. But that a lot of that was because of his international travel. Yeah. I of course want to see two strikers, and I want to see Rivero and Perez paired together. 
not a hundred percent sure that we will see that. I, I'm I'm actually going to say that I would prefer to see Perez and Kudo. And well, I would as well. I just I can't see him dropping Rivera yet. No, you know what? The, the, the Robo likes having the talks with players. He, he he can have a talk with them, saying, "Listen, score." No. <laughs> You're having issues scoring, obviously. It's not, and, and tell him it's not, and it's not hundred percent his fault. It's not you, it's me. No, yeah, it's it's them. Right? <laughs> it's the people servicing him. So maybe they they put him say, look, we're gonna start you on the bench. You are gonna play in this game. We wanna we wanna give the, the give a, a DC United a different look, something maybe they're not expecting, and and we'll put you on when the center backs get colder. You get you get in there. You maybe get more runs at them. You'll be fresh. They'll be tired. Maybe you get that goal. That gets your confidence up. Have a talk. Talk. They like talking. It's good to talk. It's good to talk. And Rivero has been cutting a bit of a frustrated figure out there. And, and it's the, actually something I, I asked Robo about last week. And that, that might be, uh, that frustration might be coming on the pitch. And obviously, you know, you don't want that there because any small little mispass will get him more frustrated. Oh, exactly. So when I asked Rob about that, let's just hear what his thoughts were on whether Rivero's basically just needing a goal to, to kind of take that frustration out and just to unlock him a little bit. Can I just ask you about yeah. Fabio? He's, he's kind of a frustrated figure out there. We see the work he's putting in. It's just nothing's... He's not getting the breaks. Nothing's coming off for him. Is he needing a goal to just kind of raise how he's feeling about things? I think he's got to keep going. I think he's got to keep doing what he's doing because he is putting an incredible amount of work up there at, at the moment. And, you know, he played with Masato on Saturday and I thought there was very, very good signs of, of the two of them in working in conjunction with each other he did it with Blas Perez the day the weekend before so you know there's some really really positive signs obviously he'd like a goal we know that uh, but his goals will come if he keeps putting the work in then I'm sure they'll come at some stage now the thing with Rivero and all the, the strikers is that they're not scoring and with the creativity and the team it's kind of it's hard to believe that so much creative talent is not going to lead to goals, as you say, at some point. And that uh, once the goals start coming, hopefully they're going to come thick and fast. I've been hoping for this for two years, and it's just it's never happened. The chances have been getting created, but now we do finally have, in theory, guys that can put them away. We're just having to wait to see that they can do that. Yeah, that's 100%. They're actually more talented, I think, attacking-wise now than they've ever been. But the goals aren't coming, which is surprising. The other question, big question, is Kakuta Mane, I think, in the starting lineup against DC United. He did not have a very good time in that first half, and he came off injured. Um, but he seems to be okay in training. Um, would, would you start him, or would you want to rest him and maybe give him less minutes on the field? Because I think he's only really good for 30 minutes at this point. Yeah, I, I would keep him on the bench. And if I went for a 4-1-3-2, I would have Perez and Rivero up top, Jacobson as the DM, Mosquita in the middle, Belanius on the right and Teixeira on the left. Yeah, I like that too. There's just... Kikuta's off his game. He's just not right. He's just... He doesn't look a threat. And he's not been doing very well tracking back defensively either. It would be a risk as well to, to put him on from the start in case he breaks down again. With such a long trip, I, I'd take him along and have him, have him on the bench, have him as a possible game changer. Or but for me, he, he needs to, to sit out for a little bit. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I like your line up perfectly there, except I would, like I said, I would put Kudo instead for Rivero. That's the only change I would make. I also think we're going to see Bustos come into the game off the bench. And I, I'd like to see that because I think this could be a game that he thrives in. Yeah. It's away from home. He, he likes to, to play against 
non-home crowds. It's like he he really gets up for it when when the the teams are, are against him. We saw it in USL last year. He thrives on the road. We we saw it when he went away and, and scored for Canada against England in Doncaster just a a week or so ago. So I mean, he's a player that rises to that. So I think this could be a big chance for him. And I think we could also see Kian's froze involved. He's back from. They haven't officially said it was concussion protocol. I just saw him get that head knock against Sanders too, and I think that's why he has missed out. But, I mean, this is a chance for some of these young guys to possibly come on and try and make a name for themselves and try and force themselves into to Robo's Game Day 18 squads. Yeah, 100%. I totally agree with you there. I think Pustos, uh, I, th- I thought he would have even uh, factored in earlier. I thought there was a, probably a couple moments there where he could have came in either on the bench, but obviously, like you said, he had that international duty as well, so that probably stopped him. He might have been on the bench against Houston. I think against a team like uh, D.C., who are you know veteran-laden, they might be considered a little slow at the back end. They might He might be somebody that can uh, change the game. So, quick prediction. I've said it, I think it has 0-0 written all over it, but I'm going to go for 2-0 Whitecaps, but I think my brains tell me 0-0. Well, I'm going to go with whatever else told you 2-0. I'll go with that that part of your body. It'll be 2-0 for for me. I think it could even be more if they, like I said, they get the, uh, a couple goals early or a goal uh, right off the bat. So that's the, the game on Saturday night. We're both confident of a Whitecaps win. And Sunday, of course, there's some live action for us to go to. Whitecaps to kick off their home games for the, the USL season. Great start to the, the new season for WFC 2. Yeah, Two perfect. wins on the road. First game was a, a 1-0 win at last year's Western Conference champions, Orange County Blues. Yeah. And, I mean, that was a great goal from Kyle Gregg headed in. Last week, went down to Portland and came away with a 3-1 victory. They were 3-0 up, letting a, a spectacular late goal. I um, thought it was 23-21. No, I was confused when the email came in from the result and it said tw- Whitecaps 2-3 uh-huh. and Whitecaps Timbers 2-1. I thought it was 23-21. That's right. high scoring. That, that's the kind of game that I think the TV <laughs> folk are wanting with all these red cards. Yeah. But it was it was a great win and it was a, a penalty from Kyle Gregg. Two great goals from Daniel Haber as well. So talking of Daniel Haber, got a chance to catch up with him a week or so ago and you might have read this interview up on AFTN. But for those of you that haven't heard it or want to hear it again, let's hear now from Whitecaps 2 striker, Canadian international, Daniel Haber. First thing I really just to ask you is you've been here nearly two months now. Um, how, how are you settling in with the club? Uh, I'm settling in well. Um, I felt pretty good at the beginning. I was training with the first team a little bit, and then I had a small injury in Arizona, which was a bit of a setback and a bit disappointing, but only kept me out about a week. And then uh, when I came back to Vancouver, I rejoined uh, the USL team, and uh, it's been good. I feel like we've made progress as a team, and individually I'm feeling more comfortable with the style they want us to play. What was behind the decision to, to come here? Obviously, you've been over in Europe and well, Israel and Cyprus for a bit. So what, what made you decide to come to Canada? Uh, you know, I had a sp- uh, talk with Alan when I was overseas, and um, he just explained to me what the program was like and what the opportunities are like here. And um, he made it sound very attractive in terms of, you know, in football, nothing's guaranteed. And I have a clear goal in mind, and that's to go up to the MLS. Um, 
and I felt like this was a good opportunity to do so, to uh, succeed, and uh, I had heard nothing but good things about the Whitecaps organization also. With the, the clear development pathway like between USL and, and MLS, and like Robo's keen to give young players a chance and everything like that, was that the driving factor behind it, that you might have gone to another club and there wasn't just that clear kind of route or that pathway there? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, it definitely helps to be back in Canada and Vancouver is a great city, but um, I've heard nothing but great things about Robo as a coach and about the organisation and the way that they really value the development of players and they want to bring their own players up and, yeah. and they want to see the success of young Canadian players. And I'm really curious, like, about... What took you to overseas? Because you were at Cornell and then you decided to come out before your senior year. What made you decide to go over to Europe as opposed to maybe trying your arm in the in the draft? Um, honestly, I, I hadn't really been contacted too much about the MLS prior to that season. And then uh, when I had what I felt like was a pretty good season, yeah. um, I had an opportunity to go to go for a trial with the team. And I spoke it over with my parents and some family at home. And I just felt like it was it was the right move for me at the time. I think life's an adventure. You don't yeah. really know what path you're going to take. You can only do what feels right at the time. And you've been in Israel and Cyprus. I, I love Cyprus. Wonderful country. I mean, did you get a good chance to explore there and in, in Israel as well as playing? Or oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was able to see the countries, and uh, it's quite nice there. You know, yeah. little island in Cyprus. And oh, it's beautiful. Israel's quite beautiful. <laughs> Never been to Israel, but that was the other thing I was going to ask. Like, what what took you to, to Israel in particular? And like, for me, looking from abroad, it's like you think, how safe is it in Israel with mm -hmm. everything that's going on? I mean, did you, did you feel that when you were there, or were you? Um, well, I think the North American and just world media in general blows it up. Um, what what life day to day like is in Israel? Um, when you're there, you don't feel it quite as much. I mean, there were times while I was there that um, the conflict heated up a little bit, but in general. You don't you don't feel it. The people there they live their lives and and uh, I think it's a little bit blown out of proportion. You've had some caps with the international team. I mean, what was that like? Like pulling on the red and white your country. Uh, it was a huge honor. You know, uh, each time that I was there, each camp that I was invited to, I was you know I was surprised, but I was just uh, honestly honored. I think uh, I never got a chance to play for the youth national teams and to be recognized, especially in the senior group. Um, not just to wear the colors, but also to meet the players and play with the players who are really considered and well-regarded as the, the best players in the country. And uh, it was a huge honor, and I feel really lucky and proud to have been able to be part of it. How much do you know about the league, and, and what are you most looking forward to this year? Uh, I actually don't know that much about the league. From what I understand and the research that I've been doing, it sounds like it's, it's growing a lot each year, and there's more and more teams. Um, but I'm excited to be back just just in, a, in an environment where it seems like all that we care about in this club, at a, in the league I guess in general, is it's a clear path forward. They want to develop their players, they want their players to have the right attitude, the right professionalism and, and to try to just improve and see where you can go. I think it's great for North America that we have a development league now, yeah. that, that players can make enough money to live and, and to try to further their careers, right? I know, that's fantastic. Thanks so much for your time, Daniel. Yeah. So Daniel Haber there, definitely a great addition to the, the Whitecaps 2 lineup. He's going to be pushing hard for an MLS contract and if he keeps the form up that he started the season, he's got a really good shot of getting there. He led the team in scoring pre-season with yeah. six goals. Two goals now at the start of this season. He's looking really sharp. Well, it's a friendly competition between him and, uh, and Carl Gregg. 
both of those guys are younger veterans who are looking to make a move up to the next level, and it'll be interesting to see. That's the kind of player you need. Somebody who's not on an MLS contract, but is hungry, and, and, and so they're hungry to get that contract uh, and, and go up that, like I said, that one level. Yeah, I mean, hungry and very talented. Yeah. And I, I'm excited to see both. And I think, I think, I mean, last year we, we saw a lot of like switching and chopping and changing up front. But I think Alan Koch this year is going to go with those two for a majority of the games. And, and that's going to help. And the thing is, both of them offer different looks too, because Greg is more of that, that center forward type. Yeah, and while, while Haber can play in the box, but also is kind of in and around the box too, a number 10 type. Yeah, I, I think they. They complement each other well and they contrast each other well. And I have to say, I know it's only two games in, but from what I've seen pre-season, even going back to the, the pre-season camp in November, Alan Koch has put together a fantastic squad this year. And he's and he's weaving in young players too. So he's getting those young players in. He's not being forced to start MLS players as much and he's kind of building a team. And, and you don't have to worry about uh, somebody from up top coming down in... in Bring in players like Brett Levi, who I think really had a good game against Portland, and some other guys that are really showing what they can do. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see what they're going to do this year. And a lot of young Canadian talent. When you look at the, the team that the Whitecaps put out against Portland, you had, I think it's four teenagers out there. Yeah. You had Caden Chung getting his first pro start. Tommy Gardner was playing, 15-year-old Alfonso Davies. And you, you're looking at that youth and you're seeing guys that's the future of the club, and they're getting minutes against men, and they're doing well, and they're, they're taking their opportunities, and, and that's what it's all about with this team. And I think it's very important uh, uh, to get those the vet, the right veterans in the lineup, um, not just finding people and just throwing them in there. To get people that are solid enough to make the, elevate those young players, to give them confidence to get forward and, and, and play their game. One of the guys we're talking about there, Caden Chung, got his first pro start against the Timbers on Saturday, made a couple of sub appearances for, for the team after signing his contract last year. Signed as a 16-year-old, he's 17 now, and he's definitely one from the future. Carl Robinson's very high in him, took him down to, to pre-season camp with the first team, has said that don't be surprised to see him get some minutes with it with the first team this year, obviously not at MLS level, but I think we can expect to see him play in, in the, the Canadian Championship for sure. And I, I had a, a chat with Caden for USLsoccer.com on Friday. You might have seen the, the interview up there, but here's the, the full extended chat that I had with Caden. There, there was a lot that didn't make the USL article, so we just had a chat with Caden about breaking into to the Whitecaps, reckoning being away with Canada and scoring against England and just a whole load of other things as well. So let's hear from Caden now. So, Caden, it's, it's been, I want to say a whirlwind year, and I know you, you signed your pro contract in September, but like even going back before that, with the under-16s, the great season that you had there, and, and the playoffs, how, how would you describe how the, the last year has been for you? It's been overwhelming. I mean, to see the progress that the club's made and, and that they believe so much in me, 
it's just it's been a great year and and I hope uh, to continue that going forward. And you signed your, your first pro contract as a 16-year-old. Were you ever in two minds whether to, to go down the pro route or to, to go to college first or was being a, a pro footballer all that you had wanted to do? Uh, I definitely pondered both both situations and, and the club was really good. It, they gave uh, gave me all the time I needed to, to make a decision. Um, but in the end, you know, pro pro football is what I want to do and it's, it's what I want to do with my life. So uh, I thought it was a... The, the right choice for me. And you made a couple of appearances with the USL team last year. Moving up from under-16 level to basically some old men in some of the clubs, it's like, how did you find that transition? And how much difficult is it going from under-16 into like a USL environment? It was, it was really difficult at first, but uh, all the players, all the coaches are really helpful with, uh, with uh, letting me ease into the transition. But... Uh, by now, uh, I'm, I'm comfortable with the, the pace of the game, the physicality, so it's just all about improving from there. Obviously, the, the 16s had a, a great run last year. They won the, the conference again, they got to the quarterfinals, and that heartbreaking loss against Georgia United. Going through something like that, though, that kind of experience where you, you do lose in a penalty shootout, I mean, what does that do for your character moving into like, a pro career? Um, it obviously builds character within the group, but uh, everyone knows, everyone who goes into professional football, they know that there's, there's not going to be perfect uh, seasons every year, there's not going to be a great season, so it, it, it allows us to uh, realize and kind of put ourselves back on, on earth and, and see that, you know, it's, it's not, not everything's going to be perfect. Um, it just helps us for the following year as well, you know, just kind of... Uh, Getting back into it, it drives a, a little bit of motivation for, for you as in, in your career as well. And having the, the clear pathway from residency to USL now to MLS first team, was that a, a big part in your decision to, to sign the pro contract, knowing that there is that clear pathway? If you do well, the club are going to ad- advance you. And you've got a manager as well in Carl Robinson that likes to play young players. That was, that was a huge reason why, because I, I believe that within this club uh, you get chances you get opportunities if you play well and I think that if, if I just continue to, to put my, my best effort in that, that I'll get opportunities and the USL season have you been told are you still going to be playing residency and USL or are you are they more focusing you playing in the USL this year they, they want to see me in the USL as much as possible but uh, they also understand that, that we have a lot of players and, and if need be, first-team players coming down, uh, they need to get minutes. Uh, it's, it's a good way to get minutes for me, just playing with the residency. And, yeah. and like position-wise for you, we kind of know you more as a right-back, but against England you were playing left-back, weren't you? I mean, can you play? Are you happy playing both full-back positions? I think I've also seen you in like right midfield as well, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, are you just comfortable all in any of those positions? Yeah, I mean, I grew up playing on the wing up until, I think, first year of under 16 the residency um, and then kind of transitioned into a fullback but I've always been on the left side with the national team and it's I don't know whether it's it's the quality there but they they put me there but I'm comfortable with both yeah and talked about the the England game obviously I'm delighted as a Scottish person that that England got beat at any level that's always good but for, for you Earning that call up with the under twenties. I mean, you'd been involved with under seventeen level before, and you'd scored at, at youth level with Canada. But to 
first of all, to get that call up and to, to go knowing they're preparing for the, the next round of World Cup qualifying, what did it mean initially just to, to get that involvement in that call up? It's huge. I mean, always when you represent your country, it's a huge deal. And, and we have a really good group. We have a really strong group. So we've, we've been made aware that there's, there's plenty of players in the pool that, that can, uh, can be in our team. So it's all about making the, the most of our opportunities when, we get, when they get the call up. And to get that goal, it's great finish from you. Like, nice build-up play. Just talk us through it. Talk us through how you felt when you just saw it curl in the net. Uh, I mean, it was. I was a little surprised actually. I was pretty shocked that it went in because uh, it just kind of opened up for me. And uh, the way I hit the ball, it was. I, I knew right away that it was. Uh, that it was going in. So. Yeah. And. And your journey in the in the last seven months, like coming up to the USL team, you've done it with guys that you know and you've played along with for years. Going to the Canada camp, you had like Bustos there, Carducci and uh, Alfonso Davies and, and stuff like that as well. Does it just put you at ease having that familiarity around you or are you not a guy that really gets nervous? Not around people. I, I, our group is really tight and it, it obviously helps to have some players local, some some players that you know but as a group you know we're all really close and and the the coaching staff's done a really good job of uh um helping us bond and and we're a really strong group that way and is it nice not being the baby of the usl team anymore now alphonse has signed it's like you're, you're old compared to some of the, the guys now yeah i mean uh we, we had a meeting at the beginning of the year about uh about what what the rookies were gonna do, like we have uh, kitchen duties and stuff like that. So it's kind of nice when he comes up, he can he can take most of the most <laughs> of the jobs. Yeah. That was great. I, I spoke to Carol yesterday about you, and he feels that that playing in the USL this season it's going to be massive for you for your development. And he's very confident that you've got what it takes to to move up in, into the first team. The, the play in the USL, how important do you see that now to this next stage of your development? Uh, it's huge because like, uh, you can have all the technical abilities, you can have uh, the, the right mentality, but a huge part of making that jump from residency into either USL or first team is the physicality. And, and Carl and the coaching staff, they've made it clear to me that in order to make the next step, I need to become a more physical player. And, and by playing in the USL, that... That really uh, helps helps with that, so it's important. And you went down, or you were involved in the, the whole preseason camp. Went down to Arizona. We're, we're down in Portland. How did you find the preseason? Because Car seemed to be playing a, a lot of tricks on you. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, especially the older players. I mean, Pa. You have uh, players like David making making uh, the young guys do stuff on the on the planes and stuff. But uh, honestly, I, I had a really good time, and it was really good to get get out and, and experience the, the first team preseason. Carol had said that yourself and Alfonso not to be surprised to even see you playing in the first team at some stage this year, which we took to mean maybe Champions League, but more likely the Canadian Championship games. To run out of BC Place in one of those games in front of like 20 odd thousand people, what, what would that mean to you? It would mean everything. Uh, I mean like I'd probably have my whole family out there and it'd just be an amazing experience. I've dreamed about about that moment for I don't know how many years now, so it'd be it'd be huge. Well that's great. Thank you for your time today, Caden. Good luck and we'll catch up with you throughout the season.
So Caden Chung there. Whitecaps kick off at 3 o'clock at Thunderbird Stadium on Sunday against Sacramento. Get out there. It's, it's a great atmosphere, some great games. And it's can a they, tough opponent too. Yeah, and can the Whitecaps make it three from three? I mean, they went undefeated in the pre-season. They're undefeated now in the regular season. Maybe this is going to be a team of invincibles. <laughs> yeah, at the USL level, sure. Yeah, I'd, I'd take anything. I'm, I'm just hungry for success. But get out there, as we say. Busy weekend for the Whitecaps. We'll have you covered with everything on AFTN next week and the podcast as well. But that's about it for this episode of the podcast. Just before we go, Steve, let everyone know where they can find you online. You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. And I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. You can read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. I'm also the Whitecaps Beat reporter for MLSsoccer.com and USLsoccer.com. So watch out for my stuff there. But until next time, as always, thanks for listening. Take care. And mon the caps. Go into your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. <laughs>